Today we talk about $50 concert t-shirts, how Apple is changing the industry and moving towards subscription services, and much more on Give Me Some Truth. The industry is changing. Clint Walkner and I are going to talk about how the music industry, the entertainment industry, and the business world in general is finding ways to take money out of our wallets and doing it in a more creative way than they ever used to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're finding that some of the things that used to be um, used to have a physical tangibility to them now don't, and therefore these businesses have have to adapt. And it's actually quite it's fun to see because it's, it's moving so quickly now and we have so much more choices consumers, but you know, there's some downsides to that as well. As these business models change, uh, we now try to move, uh, they're trying to move consumers to this subscription sort of model too, in many cases. And so you've got to be a little careful about, uh, your expenses there. Well, it, it makes sense. And you understand why businesses are doing this because <clears throat> one, you can make the offering then to the consumer more customizable. So the consumer feels as though it's adapted to them, right? So if it's a streaming music service, you can get the exact music you want. Or if it's a streaming uh, entertainment service like Hulu or like Netflix, you're, you are choosing off of the menu what you want to consume and what you want to view and what you want to listen to, not what NBC tells you you should watch at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday night. So in that way, it makes more sense. But where we have to be a little careful with it is that the cost of these services is now what is driving the bottom line for a ton of these companies. I mean, you look at the FANG companies, and the FANG is just a, 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 a group of companies that, that are defined as kind of technology-based companies now, but you know, Facebook and Amazon, I mean, these companies are all driving their profits off of what we pay on a monthly basis now. It's not driven anymore off of a tangible product that's based on a subscription service model. Yeah, it's Facebook. Apple, Netflix, Google, or you can add Amazon in there too, uh, because they're kind of part of that mix. So I think the onus for our conversation today was really the article that was shared, well, by your brother to you. It was um, shared by my brother. Shout out to Chris, who, uh, who gave me this Bloomberg article. If you want to reference the article, it is titled, Concerts Are More Expensive Than Ever and Fans Keep Paying Up. Uh, really interesting article, which talks about how expensive concerts have gotten. And it's not driven by... Um, just the pure inflationary nature of things being more expensive today than they were 10 years ago. It's really in the music industry driven by the fact that artists really cannot make money off of CD sales anymore. I mean, that, that's basically gone. We think about what's the last CD purchased. I, I went to a concert um, at Summerfest where one of my favorite artists, Ryan McIntyre, was playing and he's giving away his CDs and no one does like no one even tries to sell it anymore. It's, it's amazing to me. Uh, but you know, it's because we can just go online and we can just grab whatever we want. Now we can just stream whatever we want. If you're part of the service, every artist is out there and every CD is out there seemingly. I mean, there's some that aren't on there and I think it's, it's incredible to be able to do it, to have this power in your hand from your device to just call up any song that you possibly can think of. Uh, but it has a, an impact on the business model of all of these places because, as we know, Nate, Spotify, Apple, they're paying a fractions of pennies each listen. And so these artists are not getting rich from the streaming at all. There's, there's literally no money there. I mean, really, at the end of the day, for artists nowadays, and, and we'll talk about music for a little bit and then we'll, we'll move on to other areas of this, of this broad topic, but um, 
artists really have one way of making money right now, and that's concerts. Uh, if you don't, if you're not touring, you are having a hard time making money because where else is that going to come from? Because you also think about like radio plays, right? Who listens to the radio anymore, right? I, I mean, everything know. is done through I Apple haven't. Music, and you know, I mean, obviously, there's still some radio listeners there, but I mean, that's that has had a, a big, you know, kind of cut as well. So. Um, I'll just read it. This is just an interesting kind of excerpt from the article. The average price of a ticket to the 100 most popular tours in North America has almost quadrupled over the past two decades, from $25.81 in 1996 to $91.86 through the first half of this year, according to research uh, researcher Polestar. Um, Along with pro sports and Broadway shows, concert prices have far outpaced inflation. So it just it, it's more of a call out for us as consumers to realize that uh, not only is the way that we consume entertainment different than it was 5 or 10 or 15 years ago, it is becoming much more expensive and we need to be cognizant of that and how that affects our budget. Well, I also think that there's another uh, trend at play here, and that is that we're moving toward this experience economy and people are so tethered to their phones and all of that. And now people want to go out and experience the music that they hear, uh, you know, on their Apple music. And then they wanted to go out and actually see it all in person. And I think the person that irritates me the most at concerts, Nate, is the person that actually takes their phone and records the whole concert on their phone. And they don't get to sit there and watch the actual show. They watch it through their phone. And uh, to me, that's just dumbfounding, but it's the, the world that we live in now. But I do think that you're seeing that craving for people to put their devices in their pockets and experience and appreciate the crowds and the music in general, and the musicianship that you can just see right there in front of you. And, and it just doesn't have the same appeal as watching a YouTube video uh, to see it in person. That whole experience is just worth it. And then you've seen the cost of that go up significantly. And it's because I think that uh, there's this price elasticity there saying that, you know, it's even though it's really expensive, it's worth it to a lot of people to go out and do that. And so I think that becomes a portion of your own uh, when you're doing it yourself, you know, you've got to budget that as far as your entertainment budget. And that is multifaceted. It is your streaming services, in many cases, can be part of that entertainment budget, but also those concerts. And then when you're adding that up personally yourself, you should consider, okay, well, what does that all mean for me? What's the travel cost? Are you going to get a hotel room? Are you going to eat out? Uh, are you, do you need a babysitter? Are you going to take Ubers everywhere? All of those things should really comprise that entertainment budget. Yeah, and, and that's a, g- a good point. There, it's not just what the did the ticket cost you for the concert or the or the ball game that you went to or whatever it is that you decided to go to, but it was all of the other costs associated with that. Um, and it, it's just a, it's different than it was um, in each one of these kind of subsets of the entertainment industry. But but really, the idea behind it is how do you how do you budget for that and how do you think about that differently than we used to and make sure that you don't get overlap? You know, we were talking before we started recording, you know, how many people probably have three or four or five different entertainment streaming services that have some level of overlap. Do you have Hulu and Netflix? Do you have, uh, you know, do you pay for Apple music and also pay for Spotify? I mean, do you realize kind of what is coming out of your checkbook every or checkbook? Wow. That's old school out of your checking account every month or out of your, you know, on your debit card every month. And what impact does that ultimately have on your bottom line? So it's not, it's not as much about a budgeting, Hey, you know, 
be careful with the budget. We're not, we promise not to tell you to not buy your Starbucks in the morning. It's not about budgeting. It's more of just being cognizant of the fact that we're being marketed to as consumers significantly differently than we were uh, five or 10 years ago. And the entertainment industry is, is really uh, leading that charge. Well, I think, you know, to move on from the concert uh, discussion to, you know, the announcements that were made this week by Apple, you're seeing that a lot of these places are going more so from a, uh, you know, they develop a lot of hardware, they sell a lot of iPhones, obviously, that's a huge portion of their business, but a growing portion of their business as they look to the future are these different media outlets. And so they've gone into, you know, Apple News Plus, so they have magazines plus uh, the news together, and they've used an aggregator there where, you know, you can grab Wall Street Journal articles, which are behind paywalls, and now you can avoid that if you subscribe to Apple News Plus. And then you've got Apple Music, and then you've you've got uh, now their Apple TV service that they're going to do um, that's used inside of their own infrastructure, and they're developing their own content. Uh, so you know, Apple's actually becoming this sort of media company, and they've really worked to replace uh, cable companies then and uh, provide access to different streaming services through their Apple TV device. Uh, but really, the content around it is what's going to drive a lot of their bottom line going forward. And then additionally with Apple, uh, you know, I've, I've heard this and I can't believe it yet, but they're almost saying that the device is going to become, the actual iPhone is going to become very commoditized as we get into this AR, this sort of like augmented reality universe. And this little phone is going to become a smaller and smaller portion of this whole experience, this customer experience that we have. And it's just really going to be almost a remote control into something much greater. And right now, my my brain can't fathom that because I know that's the future, but uh, I've read that in multiple different places. And we do see a lot of these devices then doing all the same stuff. And there's a diminishing return as we get to you know, all these different cameras are adding more cameras to everything. The speed's just faster and faster. At some point, that that diminishing return enters into it. And then you have to have a different sort of augmented reality or virtual reality that you're going to enter into when the speeds are fast enough and the hardware is fast enough. And then this, this phone becomes just a little device. It becomes this little remote brick that you use. Yeah, because think about it. So the phone itself... I mean, what, what is the issue with, with a lot of technology right now? It's space, right? Because you have to be able to store all of this stuff on your laptop or on your iPhone or on whatever thing you have. So if it's just a virtual portal, if you will, into kind of the internet or into something bigger, well, then you don't have to store everything on the phone anymore. That's right. So they've solved that problem of, oh, my, my you know phone is added storage capacity or my laptop is really slow right now because of how much stuff I have on the hard drive or how much stuff that is just kind of bogging it down. You mean you think about like apps on your phone. What if you didn't have to have the app actually on your phone? It just kind of went, it, you know, was stored and it was housed somewhere else and you just had kind of a portal into that. So again, it's it's more of just being aware of how these companies are changing and what it means for us as a consumer and just looking a little bit more with our eyes open at what is the cost benefit analysis to us which a lot of us don't do when it comes to entertainment. Um, you know, when we're buying a refrigerator, we're always researching. You know, what, how is it reviewed, and how you know what is the feature of this versus the versus the cost of this, and you know what is the GE model versus the Samsung model. We don't really do that with entertainment, and I think we have to be careful um, 
not doing that because in the end, uh, I think it's costing consumers a lot of money. And most con- most of the time, consumers will sniff out when something is costing us a lot of money and when it's not a, quote, good deal. I don't know that we look at entertainment like that. Well, and I think it's the opposite of what the cable company did. So the cable company bundled everything together, right? Right, exactly. And now we've moved away from that. And right. now it's grabbing all this stuff off the shelf and it all looks really nice. You know, there's a portion of, of this whole Apple TV service that is intriguing to me. And do I want to spend my dollars, though? I mean, it looks like a small line item, four or five bucks a month, six bucks a month, and then they all add up over time. And you just have to say, hey, look, I can find enough channels on my, well, right now I have Fubo TV. It's new. I'll, maybe I'll, we'll do a podcast on that because I've gone through a different, um, a different streaming service alternatives for, uh, for regular TV as cable alternatives. But, um, you know, I use that. And then, you know, we've got, my wife likes the Hulu interface. We use a little bit of that. We have Netflix, you know, and then we just recently signed up for Disney Plus. And so we should probably pare down our services. And now we're going to have Apple, you know, trying to, you know, consume some of our wallet share too. So, you know, we've had these discussions in our household of what are we going to keep? What are we not going to keep? And are we utilizing this to its fullest extent? Yeah, it's, um, it's kind of an interesting an interesting dynamic, and it's also how they play on the monthly versus the annual, right? So if you're going to buy something and it's going to cost $120, you're probably going to think a little bit about that. Plus $100, bucks, you are going to oh, think about this. But if somebody says $10 a month, yeah, $10 a month. Doesn't sound like much, does it? Doesn't sound like much at all. You know? And so, again, that's just the marketing piece of this. This is how these companies have gotten us to to more or less pay them the same, if not more money, but just they've packaged it differently and structured it differently. So now all of a sudden we don't feel like it's costing us very much money because it's only X dollars per month as opposed to you know the, the big ticket price. So just think about it, and maybe it's a little bit cynical, but think about it from Apple's point of view. Is it easier to get you to buy a you know $1,000 phone as a one-time $1,000 purchase, or is it easier for Apple to charge you 80 ish dollars a month uh, it still is a thousand dollars after twelve months, but it just feels a lot better to pay eighty bucks a month than it does to fork over a thousand dollars for a new iPhone. And that concept is what they've really started to to um, I don't want to say take take advantage of. That's not really, really the right way to say it, but they've really kind of utilized that as this is how we're going to make money moving forward. We're going to get these services turn, turned on because we know as consumers that we are lazy when it comes to things like turning off services, when it comes to checking and keeping track of how many of these are coming out of our bank account. I mean, we just, I mean, the whole fitness industry is more or less based on that just in and of itself. But if we, if we don't realize that this is what's happening more and more and more of these, um, services in our world are going to start to move toward that. Yeah. And I think that there are some, uh, industries too. You can see these, uh, this transition being made as well. I mean, one of the things that comes to mind for me is the financial services industry is trying to figure out, you know, how are they going to reach the consumer going forward at a uh, at a level that's going to be profitable? Uh, so, you know, they're developing more and more of these apps from the ground up, and uh, they're using this big data as well to be able to uh, drip on their customers certain services that they may need. And it, and it might be beneficial as well, but you're going to see that insurance over the next five to 10 years is going to change significantly. Uh, the underwriting process for loans is going to change significantly. I think there's going to be less of a reliance on credit score, more of an actual reliance on uh, social 
uh, social scores, you know, kind of social media, how you react. Are you a big spender? Are you not? Uh, and you could also uh, have a whole bunch of data on, on uh, transaction purchases and be able to have an understanding of somebody's situation without a credit score even being in the picture. Uh, and there's far different things that you're going to see, I think, from the way that we pay for some of these services going forward. Um, yeah, you can see that sort of like tracking that they have that you can put. Do you have that in your car, Nate, like in, in, in your car for State Farm or American Family? I think they have those little like beacons that you can put in your car and actually tracks your driving. I don't think you have that, but you probably should. I don't, daughter, but right? we have uh, as, as an app that we have for our family, we have Life360, which which is a is kind of a driving tracking app for um, you know, the new driver that we have in our family. And, um, again, that's another one of those where it's, it's part of your life now and you, we don't pay for it monthly, but, um, there was a cost associated with it. And it was that, it was that kind of idea of I'm buying the service and I just think it's much harder for us to understand how to quantify the cost of a service as opposed to a tangible thing. I just I, I, I think I think consumers have a hard time with that and I think that that's one thing that businesses are are kind of they're utilizing that as a way to be able to make money as opposed to saying here are the features of this refrigerator you go here are the features of the streaming service or this um, you know online way of, of, of getting the services we need and it just I think it's a lot harder for people to do that I think the moral of the story today is that hey as consumers we should look back and say boy how fortunate we are. Uh, to be living in the age that we're living in because we have the most choice that we've ever had in our entire lives. But we also should be cognizant of the fact that, you know, these things do add up. Um, this sort of entertainment budget that you have uh, should be something that should be tracked. We have the tools to track it, and uh, we should just make sure that we're a little bit careful about what we do select and where our entertainment dollars are actually going. Yeah, because as the cost of these things go up, it will become a bigger and bigger portion of our of our overall budget on a monthly basis. And if we don't get in the habit of, of understanding how much this stuff costs, we, we will start to run into as a society, um, more problems with it because the overspending that happens, uh, or that used to happen, I should say at a mall 10 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, where somebody walks out of the mall with, you know, six different bags from six different stores you know, that's not much the case anymore. However, how much is that same person spending nowadays on streaming services? It very well might be the same, if not more. Or two concert t-shirts. Or two concert Holy t-shirts. Holy cow. Yeah. You know, those concert t-shirts, two concert t-shirts can be a hundred bucks now. It's uh-huh. insane. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, just spent $40 and that was the cheapest one they had on the board. Um, couple nights ago i mean that's that's so again that kind of goes back into the cost for the tickets were x the cost for parking was y the cost for this t-shirt was z you know the food was you know the everything else was and all of a sudden it turns into you know not a um it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a cheap night of entertainment we'll put it that way you know and, and so at the end of the day um let's just start to think about that a little bit more as consumers let's kind of be be aware of how we're being marketed to um Marketing to consumers is not a bad thing. It just is, it puts the responsibility on us to to be a little bit more cognizant of um, you know the, the the fact that it's turned into a monthly per uh, as opposed to a I'm buying this one thing uh, and what at the end of the day. Uh, do we really want and are we getting value for what we're paying for? So think about that uh, between now and the next uh, Give Me Some Truth podcast. And thanks for your time today. 
Advisory services are offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, Mitch DeWitt, and Keith Boniwaz are investment advisor representatives of Walkner Condon. Guests on the podcast are not registered, and their participation in the podcast are limited to unregistered activities and will not provide any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments that guests make be construed as giving investment advice. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizon. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Walkner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see walknercondon.com for additional disclosures.